Hey, welcome back to another episode of Moss and Friends. Today we're talking with our friends Shanor Kuja and Barry Hadfield of Thriving.ai about aged care, ethics, and community-oriented health initiatives. We're so excited to share this with you and we hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, we are here with Shanor Kuja and Barry Hadfield of the Thrive Community. And I'm so excited to be chatting with them today because Shanor and I know each other from a time in Australia where we connected over her vision for aged care technology and connecting expats with their aging parents overseas. So what struck me when I first met you was the clarity of your vision and the personal connection that you had to this challenge. And I would love to, for you to just elaborate on the introduction a little bit more, tell us a bit about yourself and, and kind of share how this all got started. Terrific, lovely to reconnect with you, Katie. Um, it really was a long time ago and it was my first visit to Brisbane, which I loved. I almost fantasized about moving there and uh, continuing to work with you. But it's interesting how my life has come about because uh, I graduated as a physical therapist and and worked for over a decade doing that. And in that time, I interacted with older people quite a bit. So had a good sense of the whole kind of aging market. And then I took a sort of sabbatical and went out to work in emerging markets where I used technology for social good. And the really interesting thing about that for me was I could see how technology could be used to sort of level the playing field so that everybody, even people at the base of the pyramid, could be brought into a solution. But you could also use technology to scale geography and, uh, you know, it had no boundaries, if you like. And so that's when a light bulb went on with me. And, uh, you know, we did telemedicine and M-Pesa and e-learning, et cetera. But during all this exciting time, I suddenly transitioned to being a caregiver for my aging in-laws and parents. And firsthand experience sort of the stress, the anxiety, the guilt, the love, the joy, you know, all of those things that come with caring for a loved one that you gradually see sort of getting older and a bit more frail. And uh, because I've had a really open relationship with my parents, I could also see the loss that they were experiencing and how they wanted to still be engaged in life fully, you know, included in everything. And so interestingly for me, I started exploring this market and realized what was wrong with it. I think that there's a lot of technology out there. There are a lot of associations and platforms that do incredible work. But if you're working and busy and you're trying to care for somebody, you really want things just in time. You want them when you need them. And you need to be able to go to a trusted source where you can get everything you need easily. It's just very, very hard to coordinate healthcare issues, social care issues, purchasing specific things. 
And so that was the genesis behind uh, Thrive Community, which I'll just take a moment to correct that, you know, we started with Thrive Community and then, you know, along the, the sort of pathway of building this product or service, uh, I crossed paths with Barry, who's on the call with us. Through conversations, he totally expanded what I thought was a massive dream into a sort of three times massive dream because he introduced this whole idea of um, AI and machine learning and uh, a sort of technology that would learn and grow with us. Um, and so now we've transitioned to our new name, which is thriving.ai. And uh, we're typically called thriving. Thriving. That's great. I mean, I think in terms of how well you can articulate the problem and, and the solution and your background, which I'll just quickly sort of go over. You are the founder and CEO of a firm called Better Business Enterprises. So you've got extensive experience in problem solving for problems of all different sizes and orientations. And you were also the Gulf lead for the Global Partnership of Education and sit on the board of International Development Research Center in Canada. So I think, you know, when it comes to credentials, you've got them more than more than enough to be squarely qualified and situated in the center of this conversation. And I think it's the, the personal connection that is just, for me, made such a difference. Again, that first, those first conversations, it really it shows how much is possible when you're coming from a place of experience and, and not just interest, which is totally genuine and lovely. And I think when you, when you speak to a lot of the people who are solving these problems, they come from a place of genuine interest and compassion and empathy, but may not have actually found themselves dealing with, like you said, the decline of health of a loved one right there, right in front of them. But I, I want to welcome Barry and I want to switch gears a little bit and just let you sort of introduce yourself and talk a little bit about that moment when you you met Shane and how how that idea sparked with the machine learning and the AI aspect of things and, and a little bit about your background as well, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, well, thank you. Very, thank you very much for having me. It's, um, it's a pleasure to speak on this topic. So I think AI and machine learning is about empathy, actually. So it's about how computers can actually try and understand humans and react to them in ways that we are used to reacting with normal people is the real opportunity of machine learning. And I find as a technologist, I find that incredibly exciting. I find that, you know, we have this wonderful moment in, in history with whether that's maybe possible and it hasn't been before. And it's also really interesting how people's expectations of technology change so very, very dramatically. So you see something once and you think, oh, that's cool, that's amazing. And you see it the next time you think, oh, okay, I've seen that before. And you see it the first time and you expect it from that point forward. So we're expecting technology and computers and software and our phones to interact with us like human connections do. And I actually think that that's a, a right expectation that technology should be smart enough to interact with people. So if we kind of come to the core thriving proposition, we need to drive meaningful communication and engagement around a family member and the circle of care around that person. So our job as a technology platform is to really do that well. 
to use machine learning to stimulate discussion, to decrease stress, you know, to let people know that things are all right, but, but not to increase stress. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's an increase, interesting paradox, you know, because we, we don't want to be this cry wolf, your mother's in trouble, oh, she's not, I called her, she's, oh, she's fine. We don't want to be that at all. Mm-hmm. So we want to be something that's, that's kind of there, that's, that's soft, that's emphatic, that's intelligent, that's adaptive, you know, that responds differently to different people in different ways and learns what are the correct responses. And so that's the journey we're on. So meeting Shane was just amazing because I, I suddenly could see, you know, here is an absolutely real world problem that we are all going to experience. You know, we all have people that we're going to care for. And you can look at the market data in terms of the massive size of expansion of that market. But if you take it down to the human level, it's about our relationships with the people that we love. And, and that, that I find so, so exciting to kind of be associated with that. I also feel it very personally. My mother lives in South Africa. I live in the United Kingdom. And um, my brother lives in San Francisco. And my mother is wonderfully independent and she's an amazing woman and she's you know, really living life. And she also gets very lonely and she gets very depressed and sad. And we all kind of try and support her as much as we can. What's, what's also amazing is that she's adept with WhatsApp and Facebook and, you know, carries her phone all, everywhere that she goes. So th- that's another part of the opportunity is that the aging community is becoming incredibly tech savvy or is tech savvy and, and will reach out to their phones and interact with them. So it's, it's, a, it's a real, it's a coming together of a series of things in our society, our global society that, that we focus on solving here. Um, a bit on my history, and I'll be very quick on this. Uh, so I've been a technologist since birth. I've been producing commercial software for the last 35 years. And I'm in now in the wonderful position where I can really engage the things that I care about versus, you know, just working. I think, Katie, what is really incredible about our team, we, we have an incredible team of people that have galvanized around this issue because they really care about the issue. And they're all kind of business people too. And so they understand the need to be sustainable both financially and in every other way, but they really do care about making a difference. And I think that is what's so incredible because we all work extremely hard and we're all kind of bouncing off each other's ideas. And what has been so incredibly useful to us is that we've got very different perspectives on the same problem. And we've made the effort to really talk to every stakeholder that is impacted in this ecosystem, because we are looking at it as an ecosystem issue. Mm-hmm. And as we've done that, we've been able to incorporate all these different perspectives and then really drill it down to what is essentially important. And we talk about it in sort of three pieces, right? So you've got the thriver, that the person that's being cared for or is getting older, that person is called a thriver in, in our uh, language. And if you get their participation in community and inclusion right, 
and you support the informal caregiver. And just, you know, numbers wise, like in the US, there are 53 million informal caregivers. And the amount of care that they provide is in the billions of dollars, right? So also one in three of those people leave their full-time jobs because of caregiving. But if you can get the thriver and the informal caregiver really well engaged, supported, reduce the stress and anxiety and bring in that joy and vibrancy and, you know, sort of the joy of connecting and the ease of connecting there, then just through that, you can actually create so much benefit. It's been shown that if people are purposefully engaged, they actually deteriorate less and they feel less pain, they feel less isolated and lonely, etc. And that reduces the healthcare bill. So then if you go out to the next circle, the businesses benefit because now they're able to react in a way on actual data that we can pull out from this to make data-driven decisions. Because one thing that is really lacking in this segment is that nobody wants to face their own mortality. And Mm. that's why this market has been underserved, but it's growing around us. And, you know, you know, the figures that over time, you know, we're going to be 2.1 billion people Mm -hmm. who will be over the age of 60. And what's really surprising to me is that, you know, if you look at the stats now, 10% of people that are 60 years old are caregiving. 12% of people that are 70 years old are caregiving, which means we're all going to be living longer and healthier, which is good news. And then in another 10 years, the the age group that's 60 and above is going to be the largest consumer group. So there is a real need for a solution that helps bring all this together. And it's not just a solution, it's a solution that's designed for this age group. And it's a varied age group, but it's design that is simple, that is vibrant, that is respectful, that is inclusive. And when I say inclusive, I mean, it's designed in a way that anyone can pick up a tablet and use it. When I say respectful, it's not designed with just three dots. It's designed in a way that everybody can use it. And I think Barry, you can probably speak a little to this because you've been absolutely critical about getting it right. Yeah, thanks for that, Shane. Um, We have, so we've done a lot of research um, and a lot of interviewing people and, and really understanding something. And I think one of the kind of penny drop moments for me was understanding that that um, people in their third age, you know, which I, is a description that I, I've learned recently and actually really, really like, are vibrant and interesting and want to thrive and do not want to be patronized to or treated as old people or thought of as an old person market. And that's wonderful because that, it adds an enthusiasm. And, you know, so our company name is not surviving, it's thriving. We want people to learn ballet, to go out and 
learn music and, and change. So we, we've, we really want to embody that into the, into the brand, into the product, into what's delivered, you know, what, what's actually there. Have there been any specific moments, I'll sort of direct this one to you, Barry, along the way where you felt like you saw this come to life in some way? I, I know that it's a hugely iterative process. And I, I think another thing you and I connected on from the start, Shane, was just design thinking and the the fact that the problem is so deeply rooted in systems and challenging to solve, but worth focusing on in a deep and meaningful way. So I'm wondering for you, Barry, since you sort of brought this technology piece into it, is there a moment that you felt like, ah, okay, this is this is what we imagined come to life? Um, that's, that's a lovely question, actually. It's a brilliant question. Yes, there is exactly that moment. And, and, and that moment is realizing that we need to drive meaningful communication and engagement between people. And there's this wonderful paradox, if you think about it. So if somebody is down, they're less likely to reach out and they're more likely to be isolated, which is a self-fulfilling negative situation. If they're fine and they're cheerful and they're happy, they're probably communicating and doing things. So th- that was kind of the light bulb moment for me, the, the real realization when, when we start bringing this together, is how can we be there, be supportive for somebody to softly let people know that this person actually needs some help or reach out to your mom. She hasn't spoken to anybody for a period. Or, you know, it's actually Tuesday and generally on a Tuesday she has coffee in the morning and she hasn't made coffee today. So it's just a little nudge all the same sort of thing of, you know, your brother actually spoke to your mom a couple of hours ago. And and I know my brother spoke to my mom, so I don't need to call her because I'm busy and I'm in meetings. And, you know, if there's an issue, he'll speak to me about it. So it was that kind of realization that software really could do this. It really could help. It could kind of be that kind of um, guardian angel that's just driving these interactions, just nudging people, nudging people and helping them along the way, you know, so that a couple of milliseconds of my day about sending a little smiley face to my mom that everyone can see that I'm in a good mood and, and that's communicated and I can see how she reacts to that straight away. So just, just realizing that, that we can stimulate meaningful conversation by using really, really smart design that, that's not patronizing, that's also built on kind of the human need to, for communication so you think about how much as humans we strive for that. So we're constantly online, we're constantly on Facebook, we're constantly on TikTok, we're constantly on, on these systems doing that. And, and what is it that's driving us? It's our, it's, our, it's our need to be included and to participate in things. So the, the kind of the, the moment for me when I saw this application of how this comes together is when I knew that that's the thing that we need to do. We've got to find a way that people want to engage with it. And when they want to engage with it, everything else works as a, as a result of that. I think the only thing I'd build on that, I love hearing Barry say that. <laughs> uh, because, uh, it, you know, it is just great the, the way he puts it together. But I think the interesting thing for me behind everything he said is that there's a science behind it too. And so every time you know, we do something nice for someone else. We get a release of oxytocin and endorphins and the person that receives that act of kindness gets it too. And it's been proven that anyone watching that 
also feels those benefits. So that's really kind of the, the science behind the circle of care and the machine learning, nudging, prompting you to do things. And today it's, a, it's in a simplistic state to some extent, but the idea would be that, you know, Barry would know that I'm not feeling so great today. And he knows that I love lilies. So he could send me an electronic bouquet of lilies, which the machine might have prompted him to say, oh, did you know? Um, and so th this is like where we're going with all of this. And then sort of the other piece of what we're working on is that whilst all this is going on in, in play between people, of course, there are data points that we are looking at, you know, key data points that can actually be converted into meaningful KPIs that we would need as a business or a, a care home could use or a doctor could use or a nurse could use to actually make decisions on what is needed medically or socially by that individual that they're taking care of. So this is where I think I'm super excited about it because I've always wanted this ecosystem systems approach on it, but this is kind of three-dimensional. So it also blows my own mind as to the possibilities um, once we get this absolutely right. And I think that's going to be an ongoing process. And with that, like, can you dive a little bit more into thriving AI and the machine learning that's integrated in the app and the IA system, how it helps in the space, as well as what those opportunities that you were mentioning, Sonor, that you're thinking can occur? Sure. So maybe what I'll do is I'll talk about it from the use of information perspective, and then perhaps Barry can sort of talk to some of the tech piece of it. But from, from the sort of decision-making process arena, for example, let's take the example of me being a physical therapist going to visit patients uh, in the community. There are a number of things I need to know, who I go and visit, how they're doing, have they exercised, how many steps they've taken, what the transport route is like, so that I can see the most number of patients on my visit. So this type of information is what the AI machine learning can give us. So that now I can look in the morning at my dashboard and say, of the 10 patients, four patients have been in pain. And so I need to go visit them first. And then immediately the machine learning can actually map out the Google map route that I should take. If along the way between patient two and three, there's a car accident, they may send me to four and then back to three. And why is this important? This is important because you're more productive. You are just in time treating people that need it. You're saving time and therefore you're saving money in the way that you're delivering care. And this is important for these types of businesses and the healthcare profession in general, because budgets are tight and the demand is great. So that's just one example. Perhaps Barry can sort of explain a little bit about how we get that data. 
Absolutely. So just, just before I say that, what's, what's also very interesting about now is if you extrapolate forward by a couple of years, our lives are becoming increasingly interconnected with technology. So most certainly the next fridge you buy will be connected to the internet as well as your kettle, as well as your, your television. And so our houses and the places we live in are becoming more and more intelligent in terms of gathering data around us. So the challenge then is how do you turn that data into something that's meaningful, that has benefits. So it has benefit to the individuals in the kind of examples that we've given, you know, tracking what you've done and did you get up in the morning and did you make coffee and did you get out of bed and is your, are you following your normal routines is one way. But as Shane was saying, if you think about it from an industry perspective, there's an absolute need to reduce costs and increase quality are the, are the two kind of essential drivers. So that data, that information has to be put to use in order to do that. And that's really, really fundamental. Yeah, I completely agree with the opportunity that exists in those small data points. I think that passive communication and, and that passive data collection, something that's already happening, uh, but it's typically siloed and it's not working together cohesively to paint a picture of what someone's needs or how someone could be best serviced. So I think making the connection between the service provider and those passive data points is, it's kind of a no brainer, but it's also hard, right? It's not like it's the simplest thing. It's like a, it's a simple connection to make, but to do it effectively, to do it respectfully, I think that is something that Shane, you and I have already explored in different ways because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who, like I said, have great intentions for this space, but don't necessarily understand or are connected enough with the real constraints around what people are open to in the way of data collection or even their awareness of the data that's already being collected. So down that sort of stream of thought, I'm wondering, Barry, if you want to talk a little bit about the challenges around the appetite that people in these demographics, you know, despite being connected and using technology effectively, the appetite that they might or might not have, depending on how this is presented as an idea. And, and that's probably a question for you too, Shane, is, is how do you approach the conversations about these types of technologies and implementations? So I think it's fascinating actually to think about the privacy issues associated with this because nobody wants to be spied on. No one wants to be tracked. You know, no one wants their environment to be giving information about themselves. And that's just, that's absolutely true. So we have to be so respectful of that. We have to absolutely know that. So everything has to be about permission. So I'm happy to give permission for the following thing to happen. And so it has to be that kind of opt-in is, is essential. And you have to be able to opt out of that. I think is really important. The other thing that, that really comes into this is, is in the kind of machine learning and AI world, it's now completely accepted that any machine learning based system inherits the prejudice of its designers. So it, it's not a neutral system. It's a system that will have some sort of bias in it. So if you accept that as a fact, you then have to put a lot of thought into, well, what should that bias be? So what should the prejudice of the system be? So why are we collecting that information and how do we intend to use that comes down to our value system and what we're trying to achieve. So we have to be very clear about that. 
so that people are you know fully aware of what's happening and they have to see evidence of that they have to see that the, the giving of that data the benefit was derived as a result of that i think katie from my perspective because i i guess i lead um on the sales side of things this is a question that comes up often so you know what have we learned we've learned for example that people don't want don't like to wear wearables at a certain point in time uh, they often take them off there's the electronic pendants etc you know there's only two to three percent um sort of compliance to them so we've taken a lot of time to think about what data points could we use at a minimum and then what we've thought about is how do we make this accessible and affordable to the many to those that really need it right those people that can buy the most expensive apple watch and so forth it's great, we can integrate them, but you know, what about the masses that, that really need this? So a smart plug, a smart bulb, a smart toaster, a smart kettle, things that people would always have. And as Barry says, opt-in, opt-out, but also a very detailed explanation as to the value of sharing that and the way in which that would be shared. So it wouldn't be shared that Katie's kettle went on at nine. You know, that information would be to the very private circle, but aggregate information would be a set of numbers, a set of numbers that we could cut, you know, age, gender, et cetera, so that we could learn from that. And of course, businesses, they have their own privacy sort of terms with the residents that they're taking care of. And that access would be role-based. So, you know, if your role allowed you, if you were the physician, for example, you would know the patient's name or the client's name, age, et cetera. And then we have the ability to integrate our API with electronic medical records. But we have made a company decision that we would end there and then integrate with. And then the electronic medical record piece of it would be the electronic medical record companies because there are many of them. They have years and years of experience. And the last thing we want to do is really take on that piece. We want to take on the last mile, which I think is really important. And I'll just add one other piece of information here. I think that when we're talking to businesses and healthcare systems, they do care about what we're going to do with the data. And so one of the things as a company is we're not selling this data to anyone. The data is there to help the people that are using the service, right? So there's kind of mood data that you can see as users of each other if you give permission in your social circles or your care circles. And then the business can see their cohorts data on a role-based system. We see aggregate data without names and ages, very minimal personal information, but we see it in a sort of an anonymized way. I hope that answers your question. 
Definitely. We went so many different directions there. I, I love that you're able to bring so many different aspects of the experience of both you know, service providers, those using the app who are aging, those who are the caregivers, and also touch on, although, you know, there's a lot there and I'm sure we could dive deeper, but, but just lightly touch on the ethical implications of using technology that does handle massive amounts of data and the considerations around where do we draw those lines? I think that oftentimes what we've seen is you build the technology that you need and then you deal with those things later. And that's not my favorite approach because I think that it puts people at risk. And when you're dealing with a population that's already at risk inherently based on the challenges they face, just being able to access services and being able to stay connected, the accessibility aspects in the, in the physical and online spaces, I think let's not put those people at more risk. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that philosophy. So, so that was, that's a great answer. Thank you. You're welcome. And then I think, Sarah, did you want to bring it home here? We've gone, we've got through our questions quite quickly here. So thank yeah. you guys for diving in. And I guess like looking ahead, you know, what do you have planned for thriving at AI? What does the future of that look like? What are the big plans that you have for like scaling it and bringing yeah. more support to the, that community? So it's in Technicolor, Sarah. We, um, we're at the point where we're ready to launch our uh, version 2.0. We're a few weeks away from launching that, which is a new kind of interface altogether. That's very vibrant and joyful and engaging. And our sort of immediate sort of roadmap is to get pilots off the ground and to get our organic growth growing. And to that end, if any of your listeners want to test for us and provide us feedback, we'd be happy to have them reach out to us through our website or through you. But the immediate sort of upcoming things that we're going to do is three main things. One is we're going to bring in our intergenerational skill swaps. So the ability for older and younger people to connect so that they can share experiences and uh, special interests, etc. The second thing that we're going to do is try and integrate our um, basic IoT, smart plug, smart bulb type of thing. And then the third thing that we want to do is to launch our shop. And the shop is going to be a portal through which you can get all kinds of products and services so that today you don't have to go to Uber to order your Uber and to go to Silver Linings to get your meal and to go somewhere else to get your caregiver. You can get it all through the shop. Our hope and aspiration is that we can integrate with some of these as we evaluate them and see the need in conversation with our users. So that's kind of our immediate, I guess, 12, 18 month plan. I'm sure Barry is going to shoot me now because uh, he probably has another plan. <laughs> but I'll let Barry him shaking his head. He says it's, it's all great. It's perfect. It's all great. All perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, like, 
for any of our listeners that are interested to learn more about the space, because like we mentioned, everyone's going to experience aged care at some point, whether they're caring for a loved one, a family member, or a friend, but you know, they want to learn more about it. You know, do you have any tips, book recommendations, you know, even for you, Barry, as you were diving into the space, what were some things that were helpful to you? Sure. So a book that really left a mark on me was a book called Being Mortal by Atul Gwande. And, you know, if you don't have time to read the book, at least watch the TEDx because I think that was spot on. It's not about the quantity of life. It's about the quality of life, right? And, you know, our mantra is that we want to make sure everyone lives every day to the fullest that they can. I think that there are quite a few resources. You know, there's, of course, AARP. There's the National Caregivers Association. There are now very many age labs popping up, Stanford has one, MIT has one. There are also various groups of people that get together um, around sort of caregiving, there's the working mums group, etc. So this is kind of bubbling up, there's special interest groups. There are also accelerators like the textiles, pivotal ventures and so forth that are very much focused on healthy aging, active aging. And these are Aging 2.0, for example, these are global organizations. So subscribing to their newsletters, that will put you in touch with the industry, so to speak. And there are lots of webinars, etc., to go to. And of course, we are open to anyone reaching out to, to us as well. I think that uh, Barry will have some suggestions too, and I think he can probably speak a little bit to sort of the, the specialization that's coming in around age tech. I don't have anything to add, to be honest, Shane. I think you said it beautifully. Well, uh, I, I think it's things that he tells me about, you know, usability, about design, about you know, the size of the fonts, the type of fonts, you know, it's little things. It's like clarity on a homepage. And these are kind of, I'm not saying this is for old people. These are really good design principles, right? And, um, you know, he, he doesn't say it, but he is very adamant and strict about those things. So uh, I think that's where I was going with it. No, that's brilliant. So, so let me let me say that that one now. <laughs> So I think one of the most fundamental things about um, that I've learned about how we should design software for the sector is that it's all just about good design. It's not about patronizing design for older people. So we're not designing for older people. We're doing really, really good design and our design has to be so good. So it has to be incredibly clear. Um, it has to have minimal text. Um, each call to action must be really obvious and really well done. And if you, if you look at some of the most successful apps in the world, like WhatsApp, for example, they absolutely exemplify that. Things that are actually very quite complicated to achieve are incredibly simple in the interface. So we're really striving to be as simple as those sort of consumer applications. And then the other kind of really important thing, I think, is to, is to gain our users' confidence. So work with them such that they trust us. And we're very clear about 
the proposition that we're delivering, the data that we're capturing, the use of that data. I think being upfront about those sort of things is very important as well, just to kind of foster um, respect and trust. As designers, that is music to our ears. So <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to leave it. <laughs> we have so enjoyed learning more about thriving.ai. We will make sure that we include all the links to your website, social media, um, other press. We think that anyone who's interested in this can benefit from a conversation with you. And I think what's beautiful is certain aspects of what you're doing actually allow anyone to contribute, whether that's just sharing a skill or weighing in on their personal experience with aged care and caregiving. So I think there's huge opportunity here for people to connect with you. Terrific. Yeah. Thank you for having us on. And we'll, we'll hopefully have you back sometime soon and, and hear about version 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Moss and Friends. If you want to connect with us further, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram. We'll see you next time.